Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. Um, the Lord's been kind of stirring, re-stirring that message up in me again, um, entering into this new year. And uh, I really felt like we needed to go back and revisit that uh, message, revisit that revelation about the garden of prayer, this place of prayer. So uh, for this week and, and probably the next few weeks, we're going to jump back into that message and dive a little bit deeper into it. <clears throat> this morning, I want to give you kind of just a, a brief overview of what that looks like. What, what is the garden of prayer? How do we define that uh, in our, in, within our body here? Uh, how do we define the garden of prayer? And so uh, we're going to jump into that this week. Um, first of all, I want to say this. I've referred to the garden as the place of prayer. And it absolutely is that. But I, but I feel like we're going to take it a step further even this morning. That the garden is, is not just the place of prayer. But the garden represents our inner man, our inner life with God. It's the place where we live and move and have our being. It's out of the place of the garden where, we, where the Lord cultivates things inside of us. It's in, the, it's in that secret place, that inner man, that, 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 that inner place of the soul where the Holy Spirit begins to develop this, this uh, place of communion where out of that place we live and move and have our being. So, the garden of prayer, and I'm going to probably refer to it mostly as the garden of prayer, and we're going to talk a lot about prayer because I believe prayer is how we cultivate that garden. That the garden is the place of the inner man, the place where we develop communion. But prayer is one of the ways we cultivate and one of the main ways we cultivate that garden. The garden is, the, is your life in God. It's the place where everything you believe about God is nurtured and grown. It's the internal sanctuary. It's a place of personal worship. It's the place where the Bible comes alive. A place where you and the Father have dialogue. This is the garden. I want us to stop thinking about prayer as just a means of asking God for things only. We have to get out of the mindset that prayer is just the place we ask God for things. Prayer is a living room where we sit on the couch and converse and do life with the Father. Prayer is a table where we eat together and we are nourished in his presence. And yes, prayer is a garden where the gardener plants seeds into the fresh, cultivated soil of our hearts. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, We are co-workers with God. Paul is talking about this, that we are co-workers with God. And you are God's cultivated garden, the house he is building. That inside of you is this garden that is being cultivated as a resting place and a communion place, a place of communion with the Father. Amen? Prayer is a place, I don't want to get this wrong, prayer is a place where we ask God for things. Okay? 
So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say, I don't want to demean that. We do go to prayer to ask God for things. How many times in scripture does the father say that, that if we bring whatever we request to make it, bring it before God and whatever we request, he will grant it to us, right? Amen. In that place of intimacy, but it's, it's more than just a place of asking. The word prayer itself is the word, let me, let me look at my notes to make sure I get this right. It's the word pros, pros uche. You got to have the phlegm in there or else it's not authentic. Pros uche. Pros uche is the word most used for prayer. And the word is a compound word. The first word being pros. The word pros means towards or it means a sense of closeness means towards or a sense of closeness. One scholar says that the word pros is used in the Bible to portray the intimate relationship between the Godhead. The example that they give is this. Everyone knows the scripture. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John, it's in, in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That word with comes from the root word pros. And so some translations translate it like this. In the beginning was the word and the word was face to face with God. The word pros is about closeness. It's about union. It's about intimacy. And so that's the first word in this word prayer, this compound word prayer. The second word, the huche, is, means, uh, it means it, it's a vow, it's a promise, it's a place of petition. So the word prayer, when you break it down in its compound form, the word prayer can mean this, that it's a place of petition, yes, where we ask God for things, but it's a place of petition born out of face to face born out of closeness, that when we go to the Father, we don't go to him like we go to the McDonald's drive through and ask for something and receive it. Prayer is birthed out of a place of intimacy, out of a place of relationship, out of a place of closeness. Amen? So this is the garden of prayer. It's the place of communion. Hermeneutics which is the study, the art and study, the art and science of studying the Bible, hermeneutics. The first principle that you'll learn if, when you begin to study the art of hermeneutics, the first principle they'll teach you is called the first mentioned principle. And what that principle basically states is that the first time you read about a subject or a thing in the Bible, that whatever the context, whatever the meaning of that thing can be carried then throughout the rest of Scripture. So as you build upon a subject, as you build upon a word, you can always go back and find the root meaning of that word in Scripture. And this is called the first mention principle. So when we talk about the garden, when we talk about the garden in Scripture, where would we find the very first mention of the garden? Anybody? I heard some mumbling. Go ahead, shout it. The Garden of Eden. Nice job. Who said it? Who? Nice. All right, you get a high five after service. I was going to promise something better, but that's all I got. The Garden of Eden. 
So if we want to learn about the first mention of the garden, we have to go all the way back to Genesis. And what does Genesis teach us about the garden? The garden in Genesis was, first of all, a dwelling place. It was a place where Adam and Eve dwelled. It was the place where they lived. It was a place of dominion. What does the Bible tell us? It tells us that he created the animals of the fields and the birds of the air. And he says, have dominion over the birds of the air and the animals in the fields. It's a place of creativity. God tells Adam, he lays out, he shows them all of the animals and he tells them to name each animal and to come up with, with what they would be called. It's a place of creativity. It's a pra- place of fruitfulness and a place of life. And most importantly, it was a place of communion with the Father. It was a place of meeting with the Father and walking in the cool of the day together. The name Eden, the Garden of Eden, the name Eden actually means joy, delight, a state of gladness, and a taste of favorable circumstances. This is the first mention of the word garden in the Bible. So when we see the garden named throughout scripture, it means all of those things. We can take all of those things with it. That prophetically the garden is a place of prayer and communion with the Father. It is the meeting place. It is the secret place. Amen. It's interesting to note this as well in Genesis. And we're in the weeks to come probably going to talk a lot more about this. But in Genesis, it tells us that there is a river that flows right down the middle of the garden. It's the river of Eden. And that says that this river waters the garden and brings life to all that lives in the garden. And it's this this river that runs through that's found in chapter two, verse 10, the river of Eden. And it's widely known in scripture that when you see a river in scripture, that many times it's a shadow or it's a prophetic picture of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7 tells us this. Then on the most important day of the feast, the last day, Jesus stood and shouted out to the crowds, All you thirsty ones, come to me. Come to me and drink. Believe in me so that rivers of living water will burst out from within you, flowing from your innermost being, just like the scripture says. Jesus, it says this, Jesus was prophesying about the Holy Spirit that believers were beginning or being prepared to receive. So throughout scripture, when we see a river, it is often a representation or a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So if the garden represents that place of communion, that place of life with God, that place of communion, then the river that flows through it represents the Holy Spirit. Amen? I know I'm laying a lot of groundwork, so stay with me, okay? It'll get really fun here in just a little bit. So what's interesting about this river is that as it flows through the Garden of Eden, when it comes out of the garden, it branches off into four separate rivers, okay? So picture this, the, the one river comes through the garden. When it comes out of the garden, it breaks off into four different rivers. Those rivers are this. The Pishon River. The Pishon means increase. The second river is the Gihon River. It means bursting forth. The third river is the Hidekel or the Tigris River. It means rapid, swift, and darting. And the last river 
is the Euphrates River, and it means fruitfulness. So now, you take all of this understanding of this physical thing that's happening out of the garden, that the garden is the place of communion. It's the place where we develop our relationship with the Father. It's the place where we go to for prayer. Through that garden is this river called the Holy Spirit that waters the garden, that brings the garden to life. And then out of that place of communion, out of that place of prayer, out of that place of relationship with the Father comes increase, bursting forth, rapid, swift, and darting, and fruitfulness. It, become, it comes out of that place of communion, comes increase of anointing, increase of love, increase of power and devotion. Out of that place comes bursting forth. John 4, 14, it says, if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never thirst again and will forever be satisfied. For if you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit springing up and flooding you with endless life. So I out of that place of communion and devotion, out of that place where the Holy Spirit runs through and brings life, comes this gushing fountain of everlasting life. Amen? Out of that place comes rapid, swift, darting waters. How many of you know that when water is stagnant, when it's dead, when it's not moving, that it's very difficult for life to grow inside of stagnant water? So out of that place, of communion and intimacy. Out of that place of prayer comes water that flows and runs and gushes like living water and it brings forth life. And my favorite, fruitfulness. Fruitfulness comes from that place of intimacy, that place of prayer. Luke 13, 19 says, it is like the smallest seeds that you would plant in the garden. And when it grows, it becomes a huge tree. So with a huge tree with so many spreading branches that various birds make their nest grow there. That out of that place of prayer, those seeds that are planted in the place of prayer that are watered by that river grow and produce a tree that produces fruit that others can come and nest in, that others can come and draw from. It's a place of fruitfulness. Amen? That all comes from the garden of prayer. So through the first mention of the garden, through Genesis, we know that the garden is a meeting place or a place of communion, a place of dominion, a creativity and fruitfulness. It's the secret place of prayer. And we know that the river of the Holy Spirit flows through it and waters the garden. Then out of that place comes increase, overflow, life and fruitfulness. Amen. This is the garden that we're talking about. That's the context of where we're going, of developing this secret place of prayer, this garden of prayer, this inner relationship of your, with your inner man, this place of communion and dwelling with the Holy Spirit, with the Father. And out of that place comes all of these things. Out of that place comes increase, overflow, life, and fruitfulness. Amen? We're going to look real quick. We're going to look real quick at two different places in scripture where Jesus finds himself in a garden. And we're going to see the effects of what happens when you live from this place 
of the garden. Actually, let me say, share one more, one more thing about, uh, about this, the garden to set the stage for where we're going. One other thing that Genesis teaches us about the garden is that it is man's job to cultivate it. That Adam and Eve were given the task of cultivating the garden. That the garden wasn't going to take care of itself, but it was man's responsibility to go in and tend to the garden. I want to tell you, it is our responsibility to go to the garden and cultivate it. It is our responsibility to cultivate that place of prayer, that place of communion. Amen? That is our job to cultivate it. Genesis 2.15, God put man in the garden to cultivate and keep it. In fact, the very word garden means a place of cultivating. A place of cultivating. Amen? So with all of this understanding, let's go look at a few scriptures in the New Testament of the garden. Luke chapter 22, we're gonna start there in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. It says, Jesus left the upper room with his disciples as was his habit, and as was his habit, went to the Mount of Olives, his place of secret prayer. So what's happening here? Jesus has just had the communion with the disciples in the upper room. He's hours away from his crucifixion. And it says that Jesus left the upper room and went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was going to have this place of secret prayer. It says, as was his habit, he went to the place of, secret, of, of his secret prayer. So Jesus made a habit of going to the Garden of the Secret Place. It wasn't a once in a while thing, and it wasn't only when he was, was in need. It was consistent. Jesus cultivated the garden, amen? So it wasn't just when he needed something from God. He went to that place and cultivated the garden. I remember several years ago now, Pastor Ron, I don't remember if he preached this in a message or if he just shared it with me, but he said, Did, have you ever noticed that every time Jesus emerged from the place of prayer in scripture, he did so with power and with dominion and might, right? A perfect example of this is when uh, it talks about how Jesus uh, was in this place of prayer and then he goes to Lazarus's tomb. You remember when he goes to Lazarus's tomb and he's standing before Lazarus's tomb and he begins praying and what he prays is very interesting. He says, Father, I know you have already heard me, but for their sake, he says, I ask you, and then he goes on. But it's interesting that he says, you've already heard me, which indicates that he has already been to a place of prayer. And then he steps out and goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. That every time Jesus steps out of the place of prayer, he does so, he does so with authority and power because he was cultivating that garden. Maybe the reason we are not moving with authority and power in our own life is because we are not cultivating that garden. Maybe the reason we are not hearing him speak like we should or like we want to is because we're not cultivating that place of prayer. We're not going to the place where he dwells in the garden. And again, notice how Jesus emerges from the secret place 
with authority and power. And maybe we are emerging from our, in our lives, we aren't seeing authority and power because we're not going to the secret place of prayer. Either we will cultivate the garden and move out from it with power and authority, or we will remain unchanged, unmotivated, and continue on the same path of spiritual stupor we were on before. The place of the garden of prayer is where everything changes. It's where everything changes, amen? So as was his habit, he went to the Mount of Olives, his place of secret prayer. Then it goes on, it says, there he told the apostles, keep praying for strength to be spared from the severe testing, your faith that is about to come. And I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and just, just tell you what happens next. So he's, he's asked them, he asked his disciples then that are with him in this place of prayer. He asked them, he says, while I go off in prayer on my own, I'm asking you to pray while I'm gone, while I'm praying, I'm asking you to pray And then, uh, while I'm praying. So Jesus goes off a little bit further in the garden. And this is where he begins praying to the Father. And he asks the Father with the, with the well-known statement. He says, Father, uh, he said, let this cup pass from me. It's this moment in prayer where it says that he was sweating drops of blood because of the turmoil that he was in. So Jesus goes off on his own and he's praying and he comes back to his disciples. And does anybody remember what happens? They're knocked out, right? They're all fast asleep. And Jesus wakes them up and he says, could you not pray with me for just a moment? Could you not go to this place of prayer with me? And as I read this scripture, it always reminds me of another instance where people are in distress and in turmoil and somebody else is fast asleep. Except this time the roles are reversed. This time the disciples are on a boat and they're crossing the river and it says that a great storm came up on the river and it says that the disciples were in fear for their life. The storm, just imagine how bad this storm had to be that all of these fishermen that are used to living out on the water. It says that they were terrified for their life. They thought they were going to die. And they're looking around the ship and then taking inventory and who's there and they notice something. They notice Jesus is not on the deck with them. So they begin looking around the ship and they notice, they finally find Jesus and Jesus is in the hull of the ship fast asleep through a storm. Jesus is sleeping through a storm that is terrifying these professional fishermen that live on the water. These men who are terrified for their lives and Jesus is fast asleep through the storm. How many of you have ever felt like that? That you're in the middle of a storm and Jesus is fast asleep. That, he's no, that, you, the, that you don't hear from him and you're wondering where he's at. This is where these disciples found themselves. In the middle of the storm and Jesus is asleep in the storm and they wake him up and like, Jesus, how can you sleep through this? How can you do this? And he, he tells them, he, he, he says, you know, oh, you have little faith. And, and then we, we know the rest of the story. And here's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me when I, was, when, I, when, he, when I was reading about this in Scripture. That if you are awake in the place of prayer, then you can sleep through any storm. If you are awake 
in the garden of prayer, if you are alive in that inner place, in the secret place, if you dwell and have communion with the Father, then when any storm comes, you are able to sleep through any storm. You are able to rest through any storm that comes. That that anxiety and fear and depression, all of those things have no place in your life because you have been awake in the place of prayer. And Jesus was so awake in the place of prayer that when the storm came, he had no anxiousness, he had no fear, he had no anxiety or worry because he knew his father. He knew his dad. He had communion with his father. And because of that, he was, he was still and silent in the middle of the storm. Amen? That when you are awake in the place of prayer, you can sleep through any storm. You can rest through any storm. And not only that, the story doesn't stop there. But Jesus wakes up when the disciples wake him up. And then he goes up to the top of the ship. And he looks around at the wind and the waves and the sea and at the storm. And what does he do next? It says he rebukes the wind and the wave. He rebukes the storm. And it says that instantly the water calmed and the storm left. That not only when you are awake in the place of prayer can you find rest but when you are in the place of prayer, when you live from that garden, when you live from that cultivated place of communion, not only can you rest through the storm, but you can speak to the storm and tell it to be still. And you can emerge from that place with authority and dominion. Amen? You can speak to any storm and cause it to be silenced and calmed when you are awake in the place of prayer. Church, that's good news. That as we cultivate the garden of prayer, we not only walk in peace, but we also walk in dominion. And we begin to speak to waves to be still, and they have to listen. And they have to listen. Let's be awake in that place of prayer, amen? One, one more story here. One more example of the garden in the New Testament here with Jesus. There's one last time in Scripture that Jesus is found in the garden in the Gospels. And it's in John chapter 19, verse 41. It says, near the place where Jesus was crucified was a garden. And in the garden, there was a new tomb where no one had yet been laid to rest. That this other garden was the place where Jesus was buried. John chapter 20 tells us a very familiar story. John chapter 20, verse 11 I'm just going to tell you the story instead of reading it. John chapter 20, it starts in verse 11. It's, it's a story where Jesus has now been raised from the dead. And Mary has come back to the tomb to look for Jesus, to uh, try to find him. And, and it, she's, she looks in the tomb and he's not there. And then it says that as she's, she's weeping, as she's crying, she sees this man and she mistakes him as, wouldn't you know it, the gardener. She sees this man and the man asks her and he, he says, he says, why are you crying? And she tells him, you know, that, that we've lost Jesus and his body is nowhere to be found. And, and she begins telling him all of this. And Jesus then tells, looks at Mary and he, he just says her name. He says, Mary. 
And as she says, Mary, her eyes are unveiled and she sees that it's Jesus. And she goes to Jesus and, and, uh, and they have this moment there in the garden together. How many of you have ever heard the song in the garden? Does that ring a bell to anybody? In the garden was written by a man. Let me look at his name here. In the garden was written by a man named Austin Miles. Now, the interesting thing about Austin was that he was a photographer and he would often take his pictures and he would go into his dark room. And as, as he was developing his pictures, he developed his own garden in that place, his own secret place with the Lord. And as his pictures were developing, he would sit in the dark room with a small light and he would open his Bible and he would read the Bible as he was waiting for the pictures to develop. And one day he was reading his Bible and he was reading this chapter here. Um, he was reading this account where Mary has this interaction with Jesus after his resurrection in the garden. And he's reading this account and it says, the story goes that he laid his head back and he began just imagining this, this interaction with Mary and Jesus in the garden. And it says that at that moment when he laid his head back and began imagining that, he was almost had this vision. He had this, uh, this almost out-of-body experience where he found himself in the garden communing with the Father. And he began to imagine what it would be like to be Mary walking in the garden with Jesus, having this communion, this relationship with Jesus in the garden. And it says that as he as he woke up, as he kind of came to from that, from that moment, from that vision, he said that he was shaking all over. He said that he was gripping his Bible tightly. And his, he said his whole body was just tense from this experience, this encounter he had with the Lord. And it said from that encounter, he pulled out a pen and a piece of paper. And he pinned from that encounter, he pinned the song in the garden about walking and talking with God in the cool of the day. You know, that song oftentimes is sung at funerals, isn't it? Most of the time when we hear that song, it's, it's because we're hearing it at a funeral and loved ones are able to close their eyes and picture their loved one walking and talking with Jesus in the garden. And as good and as true as that is, that wasn't Austin's intent for the song. That Austin realized in that moment that that encounter, that communion, that relationship with the Father was available to us right now. That the song in the garden was not meant to be taken place and be put in a setting of walking in the garden in heaven with the Father, but actually now in our lifetime, in this moment, that we would have that kind of relationship, that kind of encounter, that kind of communion with the Father now and in this life. Amen? That that kind of communion is available to us right now. Thank you, Jesus. Church, it's imperative that we cultivate that place of prayer. It's imperative that we cultivate that place of prayer. I really believe that the garden of prayer, that inner life 
that relationship, that communion with the Father is the game changer. I truly believe that that communion, not only, not only does it change our life, it's what we were made for. We were made to be in relationship with the Father. We were created to be in communion with the Father. In fact, I believe the primary purpose of the cross was not, to, not just to forgive us of our sins. The primary purpose of the cross was to restore communion with the Father. It was to restore our relationship that we could once again walk into the garden. And this time it's not just the Garden of Eden. We don't have to go to the Garden of Eden to commune with God. That we can build that garden within ourselves. That we can build that garden, that garden, that secret place in our bedrooms. That we can build that garden, that secret place in our, our living rooms. We can build that in our offices, in our kitchens. Wherever we are, we can walk in fellowship in constant communion with the Father. And I believe out of that relationship, out of that communion, out of that place comes life and overflow. It comes joy and peace, it comes authority and dominion. Amen. I'm just going to end it right there today. Go ahead and just stand with me this morning. Father, I'm thankful that we do not have to wait until heaven to have communion with you. That we don't have to wait until heaven to have encounters, face-to-face -face encounters with you. But God, your desire, your desire for us is to walk in that communion right now in this life. Father, I pray that you would teach us how to cultivate that garden. That you would teach us how to cultivate that place of communion and relationship with you, Jesus. God, that as we focus our lives on communion with you, out of that place comes all of these wonderful things that we're after. You know, many of us are after, after what the garden can bring us, but we have been unwilling to make the sacrifice to go into the garden. Let me say that again. Many of us desire the fruit of the garden, but we have been unwilling to cultivate the garden. And what the Lord is telling us this morning, he's calling us to a place of cultivating. He's calling us to a place of going, as Matthew 6, 6 says, to go into our rooms, to shut the door, and to be with our Father in the secret place to pray to our Father who is in the secret place. God, give us the grace to cultivate the garden of prayer. Give us the grace to cultivate that inner place where we can have communion and fellowship with you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we do the work of cultivating, that Holy Spirit, you would come through that garden like a river and you would water and bring life to that garden, that you'd bring, bring life to our inner man, to that communion, to that fellowship as we cultivate that garden. God, we thank you for, we thank you for the cross that not only set us free from our sins, but also gives us access to the holy of holies, 
to the place of communion with you. God, may we never abandon that. May we never take, a, uh, take that for granted. But Lord, may, that, may we take advantage of the fact that we can go into that place of intimacy and communion with you. Let us walk in that this week, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.